0: Morning. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? I'd like to welcome you to our eleven thirty service. I said I don't recognize it. I grew up always being told that daylight savings time was done for farmers. I've also heard that that's because, I mean, it's not like crops or livestock know what time it is. (laughs) Um, Abby mentioned during announcements, I've been working on uploading sermons. Um, I'm sure some of you don't podcast, but maybe some of you do. So uh, eventually the plan is to have that pretty much on every app on smartphones that has podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. To where, if you do listen to them, you can just download the message if you were ever missing a, a Sunday or driving and you just want to relive, uh, relive Sundays or, or need, a, need a sedative to help you fall asleep. Or <laughs> And yes, I do have some office hours. Um, right now we're looking at Mondays and Thursdays. Monday mornings, 10 to noon. Thursday evenings, I think I said 5 to 7. But again, I'm always health- happy to find time, Uh, certainly those aren't the only times I'm available. I'm always happy to to meet with you, and again, if it's about something uh, that you need to to talk to me about, or if it's just to to visit, uh, happy to do that. Um, I also feel like I should mention, we we had a few people this week in the hospital, Um, unless somebody's in a hospital in like, you know, California, or like thousands of miles away. Uh, I'm always happy to to come down and visit. Um, I always try to make sure that you want me to, because some people sometimes a person just wants to recuperate, and wants to be in peace. Uh, so I, I certainly want to honor that too. So I feel like I should just mention that if you're ever in that situation, it's like no, I just I I promise I won't have my feelings hurt by that. But always happy to visit you. <coughs> Texas morning, John chapter three. We'll be looking at verses sixteen to twenty-one. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father. I think of the words of our song from a few moments ago, Hallelujah, what a Savior. And I'm so thankful for your Son, the Savior of the world, and the gift of eternal life that he offers to all who believe in him and trust in him through his life and death and resurrection. Heavenly Father. I pray for this message today, that it be faithful to your word. I pray for this church, that we continue to be your church, a body of believers shining your light in the world, in the community. Heavenly Father, I do pray for people who were hospitalized this week. I pray for Jeff. I'm so thankful that he's doing better and with us today and want to continue to pray for his health and preparations for the trip to Rwanda. Lord, I pray for Ruby and, and also now for June and both of them sound like they, they have colds and um, Ruby with the issues with potassium this week and Lord, I just want to continue to pray for, for her and for him in recovery and uh, that they be feeling well. Lord, I pray for Eileen and the injury that she had this week. I pray for her recovery and recuperation. And for the doctors who are working with her, physical therapists who are working with her. Lord, I pray for a speedy recovery. Lord, I pray for all of us uh, in this cold and flu season, just for, for good health, strong immune systems, and worship, worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter three, verses 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. (laughs) If you've ever looked up a verse in the Bible on the internet, it was probably using the popular website BibleGateway.com. Earlier this year, Bible Gateway released their list of the top 100 most popular verses of 2018. By a show of hands, raise your hand if you think the most popular verse was John 3.16. Wrong. It was Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In the age of Facebook, reading the Bible on phones, the internet, and social media, John 3.16 isn't as popular as Jeremiah 29.11. I take that as a sign of the times. We like the easy listening Bible message. We like the, it's all going to be okay Bible message. We like the, I know the plans I have for you message. This is the message the world wants to hear. We like to sanitize the gospel and think that we're ultimately pretty good and most people around us are pretty good and Jesus is pretty good. But the cross, Jesus dying, God sacrificing his son, that's much less palatable. Also, not to burst your bubble of Jeremiah 29:11 is your favorite verse. But the point of that verse isn't so much that everything will work out for you. The point is a promise that was made to Israel during the ministry of Jeremiah that God's faithfulness would remain with his covenant people ultimately in the face of sin and difficulty. But I'll save that for another sermon. Continuing this morning in John chapter 3, last week we were talking about the subject of regeneration, being born again. And we were looking at, at being born again in terms of being born of the Holy Spirit. And the passage ended with Jesus talking about his own death. So we have the Spirit through whom we are born again. We have the Son whose death makes it possible to be born again. But all three persons of the Trinity are working in the process of our salvation. And today we see another passage which points us to the gospel and points to the work of God in salvation. And as we work through this passage, John 3, 16 to 21, we're going to make three points about this passage today. First point, the love of God. Our passage tells us that God loves the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Still one of the best known verses in the Bible. Still a verse that remains part of our popular culture. In the 1970s and 80s, it became common to see the John 3.16 sign at sporting events. Most notably from a man in a rainbow colored wig in the 1980s who traveled around the country. At his height... He traveled sixty thousand miles a year to various sporting events with a John three sixteen banner. More recently, football star Tim Tebow wrote John three sixteen in his eye paint during the two thousand nine national championship game, which they won. The John three sixteen reference is found at the bottom of cups for the popular West Coast hamburger chain In and Out Burger. It's also found at the bottom of the bags for the popular retailer Forever twenty one. Yet, with a Bible verse that's so well known, I think we can sometimes become, become tone deaf to it. It's a great verse because it tells the gospel as succinctly as any verse in all of the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It points us to the love of God because of a passage like this one, I think it's easy for us as Christians to take God's love for granted. The idea of a loving God is not universal to world religions. Many religious systems believe in a God or gods who are not loving, who are not personal, who are not perfect, and where humanity basically has to do what it can to appease them. In most religions, the pressure is put on man to live up to a certain standard. I've heard people argue, all religions are basically the same. Perhaps you've heard that too. I think that's something that Americans who have never studied religions say who are basically making an arrogant assumption that all religions function like Christianity. Not the case. Here in America, no matter if someone is a Christian or the most ardent atheist, we are influenced by Christian teachings and beliefs. It's at the core of our nation's founding. It influences our morals, our laws, our literature. It influences our understanding of a seven-day week. And that daylight savings time is unbiblical (laughs) now. It influences how we see the world. Yet, because it is so fundamental to America, I think it can be easy to take biblical teachings as self-evident assumptions. That's kind of like how, when you grow up, there's often a certain assumption in the normality of how you're raised, because it's what you know. But then you get older, you make more friends, you get married, and you start to realize that certain things that were common to you Actually, might not have been universal to everyone. In America, that happens with Christianity, because it's so much around us. And it happens with the idea of a loving God. We hear the phrase, God so loved the world, and think, "Well, well, yeah. Because we think we're pretty good, pretty lovable. Why wouldn't God love us? Why would God love you? A perfect and holy God. He can have whatever he wants. He is totally self sufficient, self sustained. He doesn't need any favors. He isn't bored. He isn't lonely. Why would he love you? Who's your dream person to meet? That's a frequent icebreaker question. If you could be any person, I'll say for this experiment can't be a relative can't be a person in the Bible. Other than that, who's your dream person to meet? Maybe it's a famous pastor, or an athlete, or a movie star, or a writer, or a musician, or a president. Whoever it is. Imagine that you actually got to meet that person. That would be a pretty big deal, right? Just to meet them. Because it's someone famous. Someone influential. Someone people know. Someone the world loves. You wouldn't expect them to know you. You certainly wouldn't expect them to love you. And that's just a person. We have such a habit of putting our celebrities up on a pedestal, finite, fallible, fallen people. But then you compare that to the infinite and almighty God, a God who spoke the universe into being by the power of his word, the God who sustains all of creation, And he knows you, little old you. He's righteous. Meanwhile, you don't even live up to your own standards. You don't even live as well as you know you could. And you certainly don't live up to God's standards. We sin so much that we become numb to it and oftentimes don't realize it. The times where we act selfishly or manipulate someone, we have a justification for it. The times where we lie, the bad things we think about others, the times we disregard God, the times where we know what we should do and actively decide not to do that thing. But that God knows you and he loves you. God created humanity even though he knew we would sin. He made us anyway. God made a covenant with Abraham and made a promise that we did not deserve. He fulfilled it anyway. God sent his son into the world. Jesus was perfect, without sin, came to spread light into a dark world, and God knew that the world would kill him. He sent him anyway. God knew that you would be a sinner. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He forgave you anyway. Through Jesus and what he did on the cross. Nothing about this passage lifts up the goodness of man. This is entirely about the goodness of God. Our era has twisted the meaning of love. The culture acts as though love is accepting. It's accepting whatever someone wants to do. No matter if it's sinful, no matter if it's harmful, we call that love. I call it apathy. Love is a righteous God who would forgive people and give them heaven and spare them hell, even though we are unrighteous and unholy. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, even though it was fallen and sinful even though people love the darkness rather than the light because their works for evil. God loved the world so much that he sent his son. In the book of Genesis, God makes a great promise to Abraham. He promises him land. He promises him descendants. God promises he will make of him a great nation. But time goes by Abraham and Sarah grow old, and in their old age, they've never had a child. But God makes a promise that Sarah will have a son. Genesis 17, 17 tells us, Abraham fell over laughing. She was so so old. It was an absurd promise. But miraculously, God gave them a son, Isaac. Ironically, The word Isaac in Hebrew means he will laugh. God gave Abraham his promised son. In Genesis 22, God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. An unimaginable, unfathomable thing to be asked. Parents would do anything for their kids. You love them. You would give up your life for them without even thinking about it. But God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. Abraham trusted the Lord. He took Isaac to the top of a mountain, was prepared to sacrifice his promised son when the Lord intervened in in that moment. Genesis 22, verses 12 to 14. Do not lay your hand on that boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide. The Lord provided another sacrifice in that story, He provided a ram but that was ultimately meant to point to a greater sacrifice which the Lord provided. God would not ask Abraham to go through with the sacrifice of his son, but God gave up his. He gave his only son. No other sacrifice was worthy. No other sacrifice could bear the weight of our sins and atone for our sins, but Jesus could. God so loved the world and the only way for the world to be forgiven was through Jesus. We see more about the work of Christ as the passage continues. Second point, the result of unbelief. The concept, I'm sorry, the result of belief. Of believing in Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Belief in the son is necessary. Our society really struggles with that idea. I know that 75% of Americans identify as Christians, but so often when you talk to people about what they actually believe, far too many people treat Jesus like he's just this really good guy and that most people are pretty good too and we're gonna get the benefit of heaven because we're pretty good and he's good and wants to bless us. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is good, you're not, he died in your place, believe in him as Lord. Eternal life is reserved for the one who believes in Jesus. John, the author of the Gospel of John, refers to eternal life more than any other writer in the New Testament. We saw it referenced in our passage last week when Jesus talks about his crucifixion. John 3, 14 and 15 and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It is through his death and resurrection that we have eternal life. Other noteworthy examples in the Gospel of John of Jesus talking about eternal life, John 5:24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to death. To life, We are spared eternal death when we turn to Christ. John 10, Jesus talks of himself as the good shepherd and talks of eternal life. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There he is. Among other things, talking about the relationship he invites us into, the eternal life which Jesus offers to all who believe in him is both a future promise and a present reality. It's not that those who believe in Jesus are eligible for eternal life. It's not that we might get eternal life, but that the person who believes and trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior, has eternal life. And that assurance, that assurance is there because it is the work of Christ and it is through his work that the gift of eternal life is given. An eternal promise, which also bears present-day results in the life of a believer. It's actually how the passage ends in verse 21. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We saw that same idea last week when he talked about the Holy Spirit working in the believer, that the gospel changes you. Continuing to speak about the salvation which comes through Jesus, verse 17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 17 is not saying that there is no condemnation ever. It's saying that condemnation was not the purpose for Jesus coming into the world. Jesus came to bring salvation. And that salvation comes through his life and death and resurrection. Part of why I love this passage is how simple it is. Some passages in the Bible are difficult to understand. Some of them, you kind of need to know some historical background to really know what it's saying. Or some passages are greatly enhanced by being able to connect it to a lot of other passages in the Bible. But these verses are so simple But if you just honestly read them for what they're saying, the meaning is clear. What do you believe in? Is it that Jesus is the Son of God and through him and him alone we have eternal life? Or do you believe in something else? Is your faith in Jesus or is it in yourself? We've seen the love of God. We've seen the result of believing in Jesus. Third point, we see the consequences of unbelief in Jesus. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. We again are reminded of the catalyst for eternal life, believing in Jesus no matter what you do, what you say, how you live, that none of that gives you standing before a holy God. It's believing in Jesus. Whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned because there is no other way to God. Jesus did not come to bring condemnation, but you are already condemned and dead in your sins without him. That's your starting point. So we can either turn to Christ and find life or we can reject Jesus and still be dead. If we could earn our way to God, then God would not have sent his son. When we first started our study of the Gospel of John, one of the things that I said I loved about this book is how constantly it confronts the reader. Because this passage certainly is not saying believe what you want. It's not saying, hey, you're pretty good. It says the opposite. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Those two verses sum up the human condition apart from Christ. It confronts us with reality. We are dead apart from Christ. And we either believe that or we don't. We either believe Jesus is the way or we don't. What do you believe? Jesus is the light, the truth, the goodness, the salvation which has come into the world. And in a dark world, a world of sin and death, Jesus shines. People loved darkness rather than the light. And that is why the world needs Jesus. Because we love our sin more than the righteousness of God. A lot of sin might be enjoyable in the moment. Being drunk can be enjoyable in the moment. Looking at things online that you shouldn't look at can be enjoyable in the moment. Gossip feels good at the moment. Selfishness in doing what you want can feel good in the moment. A lot of sinful behaviors feel good. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's why the world loves them. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.25, it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's not calling sin good, but it is saying that sin is often pleasurable, at least for a season, at least for a little while. If sin didn't feel good, then the world wouldn't love it so much. It wouldn't be a problem. Nobody grudgingly sins. Nobody sins like it's a chore that you have to do. OK, I'll say something bad about my coworker. <laughs> Nobody works at being prideful. No kid has to be taught how to sin. It comes naturally. Eve wasn't tempted with something that she thought was bad. She thought it would be good. David didn't see Bathsheba and think, "Uh, the world loves sin. Some of those sins might be different for different people, but make no mistake, the world loves sin. Again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that's good. It's why we are condemned and separated from God. By the grace of God, there is redemption. But the world hates the light of the gospel because the light exposes our sin. The world is dead in sin. We are dead apart from Christ. That's the bad news. But there is good news. Borrowing a quote from Kent Hughes in his commentary on John, slightly modified his words. But the good news is that God, the greatest being, so loved the greatest act, the world... The greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his only son, the greatest gift, that whoever believes the greatest offer in him, the greatest Savior, shall not perish the greatest promise, but have the greatest certainty eternal life the greatest hope would you pray with me our heavenly father we do thank you that we do have the greatest hope and the promise of eternal life through your son may we believe and trust in that and have lives that are transformed Lord may we love you greater and love the people in your world Lord, as you so love the world, may we have love for people in the world. May we love our neighbors as ourselves. May we be serving and sacrificing. In Jesus' name, amen.